Welcome in Card Chronicle Podcast, Wednesday, January 13th. We're recording this here uh, about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, getting ready for Louisville Wake Forest tonight. Mike Rutherford in Louisville, Kentucky, coming to you from Card Chronicle headquarters basement, where Dan, over the weekend, I trapped and released a mouse that had uh, somehow gotten down here. It scared the absolute shit out of me last Thursday when I was working. I couldn't catch it for two days. It haunted me. I finally got it on Saturday. I will, I will, there is no length that I won't go to to protect this family. I'll say that. But I, I'm down here. It kind of feels like when your car got broken into for the first time and stuff is kind of thrown away, you just kind of feel a little bit violated. But uh, Mouse is gone. Am I a hero? I can't really say. But yes. Uh, no, I mean, I was going to ask, is Penny sleeping on the job or what's the, what's the deal here? Because I know she was big on the moles in the backyard. But, um, yeah, I mean uh, – Mice are a different, you know, different breed, probably a little, you know, harder to catch, but I would figure Penny would be all over that. Penny was zero fucking help. Um, <laughs> I brought her down. It's kind of like if you've ever seen the Nate Bargatze stand-up where he talks about his dog, how it was supposed to be a, a hunting dog that just didn't know how to hunt. Like, he had turkey vultures in his backyard one day, and he's like, this would be fun for her, and he put her outside, and she does nothing. I brought Penny down two or three times to try and do the heavy lifting for me. She did nothing. And this mouse wasn't trying to hide at all. It was out in the open, straight taunting all of us, spinning in circles, not going in the traps, uh, getting the, the peanut butter off the trap without actually getting caught. And Penny was absolutely no help. But uh, enough about the mouse. we got to talk about the biggest story of the week. And I'm, I'm not talking about anything going on in the world. I'm not talking even anything about going on about UofL athletics specifically. But over the weekend, I believe it was on Sunday, the one-year anniversary – of the Card Chronicle podcast, Dan. Can you believe it's been a year? I mean, that that year, I, I want to say it went fast, but it probably didn't in hindsight. It was probably the longest year ever, but, um, wow, what a ride. I mean, I think, like, me and you just <laughs> discussed, like, hey, what if we did a podcast? And, like, I mean, obviously – you have what the kids nowadays would call be called clout um, in the internet world, so I figured some people would listen. But uh, to you know, kind of have the following for this that that's become of it is it's amazing for someone like me who's just your everyday average Joe. The timing has been perfect. I mean, we launched the podcast. I think five days later, tomorrow is actually the one year anniversary of me getting laid off from radio. That'll be fun. I'll, I'll celebrate with a. A couple of nice uh, beverages, toasting. I mean, you gotta order Hooters tomorrow. There's literally no other options. <laughs> we did go to Jeffersonville over the weekend. It kind of felt like a, a a nice little homage to what happened a year ago. But that happens. We have. I had a health scare in March, and then the you know, tournament gets canceled. The world ends. We have nothing to talk about for like six months. As a man who once wrote a book with a foreword written by Rick Bettino. And that book being released one day after Rick Pitino was officially fired at UofL. I can always say timing uh, has never been my thing. But, hey, it's been fun. You're right. Seeing the, the numbers. I mean, the numbers that we had for the uh, the emergency podcast after Kentucky are outrageous for a, a team-specific college sports podcast. So it's been a whole lot of fun. Big thanks to everybody for listening. And um, we're actually we're going to get to it a little bit later. But the amount of reviews and, and the, the ratings that we have and the people who have subscribed – um, the numbers have been just just fantastic from day one, and they've only grown despite COVID and despite having so little to talk about. And we got a bunch of reviews because apparently, uh, I don't know what happened with the Apple podcast algorithm or what was going on there, but out of nowhere, we had like eight reviews from the last month just uh, just pop up. So we'll get to all that good stuff. But uh, Dan, 
Are you ready to dive into some Cardinal basketball talk? Let's do it, man. All right, I guess we have to get to – we didn't do a podcast after the Virginia Tech game because, again, timing being our thing, uh, some stuff happened on Wednesday after we recorded our podcast uh, that has been uh, distracting for everybody, ourselves included, and then also Louisville's game against Georgia Tech wound up being postponed. So we didn't get to make fun of Josh Pastner. We'll save that for a later date. So uh, we'll talk briefly. I know it's old news at this point, but uh, Cards beat Virginia Tech 73-71, a game where outside of the first, I don't know, five minutes, Louisville really appeared to be obviously the better team. They, they played a better game. They were in full control once they took the lead. And then, once again, the, the only discouraging thing about the performance is their inability to put away a game where they seemed in control in the final minutes. But still, I think the good definitely outweighed the bad from last week. What's your, if I asked you for one primary takeaway from the win over VT, what do you go with? Yeah, I mean, doing pot of the game, so, so saying is going to be, but even though the game ended as a two point game, it felt like we were in con- firm control for most of that. And like, you know, becoming a two point game at the end, that's just how college basketball works. It just seems like, you know, water always finds its level. And, and most of the time, um, when it gets under four minutes and the fouls start happening, the game might be called a little bit different. Um, games just seem to get closer no matter what, but I thought for the most part, we, we did keep our composure. I know we missed a couple foul shots down, down the stretch and Virginia Tech credit to them. I mean, my God, Jalen Cohn and a couple of the other guys, I mean, they hit really tough shots. So, um, you know, the fact that we beat a team who now looks like, I mean, I know we, we, I don't want to say we threw them under the bus last week, but, um, we, we maybe dismiss them as, not a top tier team and maybe like a, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh place team. They look like they may be a top four team. So to have that win under our belt, um, I think it's huge for our team and huge as far as what, you know, we want to place in the standings going forward at the end of the year. Is there outside of like things that are life threatening or potentially life ruining, is there a worse feeling like momentary feeling in life? than a potential game winner from a Louisville opponent in those like two or three seconds where the ball's hanging in the air. It's the worst in the, it, it, like your heart just drops. You have a brief glimpse into like the, the agony of the next couple of days if the shot goes in. And every time a shot goes up like that now, all I think of is the DeAndre Hunter shot. Against oh, you, you literally just took the words out of my mouth. I was at that game as soon as I released it, I go in like it was uh, like that ball was in the air for 45 seconds. It was miserable. I did, like, after the game, Chris Mack was, like, <laughs> I had the angle on it. Right when it left his hand, I knew it wasn't going in, so I wasn't really worried. And I was like, well, I did, Chris. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't have that privilege. I was terrified. I almost died. I felt my soul creeping out of my body for a split second. Yeah, we have, like, the weird angle this year where, like, the, the camera is, like, kind of way up higher than it usually is. So I had zero idea if it was going in or not. Yeah, I mean, and it looked like, I mean, that kid's a, a pretty good shooter. I think it's the, it's the Hooper kid, the backup point guard. And, I mean, pretty clear look. It, it was definitely, because that's, that's your thought. Like, right when DeAndre Davis gets the, and it's not his fault, it, it was almost a steal by Carly Jones. But when DeAndre Davis picks up that hustle foul, and you're looking at the scoreboard, and you're kind of doing the math, and you're seeing that we have a three-point lead, that's the first thing that goes through your mind is, well, if they make both these free throws, 
and then we miss at least one after that, like they're going to have a shot to win this thing. Uh, it's you know, it's not going to be a worst case scenario. We go to overtime type deal. This is this could be terrible. It's exactly how it played out. So um, David Johnson had been really really good all game. Misses that last free throw. I don't think it was a uh, nerve moment or anything. I think he just you know missed a free throw because he missed a free throw. Um, but it was the the thing that frustrated me about the game. And again. I need to reiterate, the good far outweighed the bad. I thought Louisville maybe played its most complete game of the season um, outside of, I I mean, is Western Kentucky good? Who knows? Um, But the thing that that was frustrating about it was it felt for so long like we were just one or two plays away from just putting them out of of their misery and, and, you know, putting the foot down, all that, whatever cliche you want to use. And it just didn't happen. Like like a couple of loose balls go right off fingertips. Uh, Quinn misses a couple of free throws. Um, Jalen Cohn's hitting shots where his body's twisting in the air and, and just it seems impossible. Every time we were right there, they did something to stay in the game. And I, I think that game, the final score wound up being a little bit misleading, but you feel you don't want to harp on that because at the same time, it could have been just an absolute gut punch, soul stealing loss if that last shot goes in. I agree. And I said this earlier. And I mean, again, this is just my gut feeling. Just for some reason, having Carleek on this team, it just feels like at the end of the game, like even though things might go haywire, like having him on the team, it just feels like something good is always going to happen. I know like he has no control if that shot is going to go in or not, but he's just one of those guys that the fact that he's on our team, I'm like, all right, we're going to win this. Like no matter what, like he'll make a play or, or something's going to happen. So, um, but you're right. I mean, to, to be in control for pretty much that whole game, it would have been an absolute gut punch to lose on a three at the end. And it's funny because, you know, the Seton Hall game, you have Quinn fouling on the three-pointer at the end. And then the Kentucky game and this game, I mean, we gave up pretty good looks. Um, so we're, we're kind of like we need to find that sweet spot, like right in between where, hey, we probably need to challenge this shot at least a little bit but not be close enough to, you know, uh, put yourself in position of foul. So I'm sure that's something Chris will work on in practice. But uh, if we could avoid having last-second threes against us, it would help my blood pressure. Yeah, the fact that we didn't find a way to blow any of those three games when we really kind of tried down the stretch is is sort of amazing. In fact, if you go to Ken Palm today and look at the the luck statistic, Louisville's the second luckiest team in the country, according to Ken Palm. Um, I've got no idea what goes in that algorithm. I know that he explains it on the website. I couldn't tell you exactly what it means. Uh, but Louisville, uh, fortunate, I, I guess, in Ken Palm's eyes to be 8-1. and one. But hey, uh, we'll take it. I, I think, again, I thought that if you watch the game, you would have come away thinking that Louisville is a, a superior team. They look better than Virginia Tech for the, the better part of 40 minutes. And to go back to your car leak point, not only does he make you feel comfortable, like more comfortable than you should down the stretch, I think also when, when things are are going chaotic, uh, when it feels like momentum is swinging the wrong way, he's also a calming presence out there. Or if you want to go back to the beginning of the game, I mean, Virginia Tech starts off on an 11-0 run. They're banking in threes. We can't do anything right. And it's Carly kind of stepping outside of his comfort zone and doing something that we don't typically do, which is gamble on defense. He gets three steals in a couple of minutes, gets two easy baskets off that. Then there's the, the third easy basket where uh, Quinn hustles and gets the, the loose ball after Carly collects it. Like those, like we got back into the game because of those plays and, and it firmly swung momentum back on our side. Even when Virginia Tech was hanging around and keeping that lead for a little bit, you felt like hey, we're right back in this. We weathered the storm a little bit here. And then once we took the lead, we never gave it back. That was the other bizarre thing about the game last week was 
it was a close game. Virginia Tech started off up 11 nothing. We go on that huge run to answer, and then there were no lead changes after that. It came down to the last shot, but only one lead change for the entire game. And, of course, the ESPN uh, run graphic department all over it, highlighting that <laughs> run, the 11-0 run to start the game and then the 8-0 run to follow it up, just doing a, a bang-up job as always. But uh, any parting thoughts here before we move on and talk about some more current matters? I mean, I think you make a great point um, with Carly stepping up down 11-0. I mean, the thing I was really encouraged by, I mean, yes, we got down 11-0. We've had some slow starts, but we got back in it with defense versus, you know, just trying to force everything on offense. And obviously Carleek was a huge catalyst for that. And not that we would have won the Wisconsin game, but I mean, if you get down 11-0 at the beginning of the game, that can rattle a team big time. And I think in the Wisconsin game, when, when they went on that huge run, we didn't really have, like you said, Carleek's calming presence to really settle things down and maybe get to the foul line to get a couple easy points or make a play on defense. And I think that that may be why it, it spiraled out of control. Um, I, I obviously don't think Wisconsin's 44 or however many they beat us by points better than us is, I mean, and we saw them last night. I mean, Michigan looks, you know, Gonzaga, Baylor good the way they they uh, destroyed Wisconsin, but um, yeah, it was good to see. I, I, I really am pleased with the performance of just about everyone on the team. I mean, there's really not much more to say about Sam than, than, than Chris Mack has already said in the media. It sounds like he had a great week of practice. Um, you know, we're, we're going to need him, but he definitely needs to step up his effort. But everyone else I, I'm, I'm thrilled with, I think Josh Nickelberry, AKA the microwave. Um, if, if, if you've never watched old Vinny Johnson highlights on the Detroit Pistons, uh, where he just comes in and is ready to shoot every first possession, that's what Josh Nickelberry reminds me of. He's been giving us good minutes. Quinn, obviously, been giving us good minutes. So I still really like where we're at going forward. Um, we just need Sam to step his game up a little bit. How about the Vinny Johnson reference on the pod? I mean, that's just... Uh... <laughs> Dude, so that's funny. I didn't even really... Like, when I played high school basketball, I had no idea who Vinny Johnson was. And, like, at the end of the year, our coach was like, Danny Sinod, you get the microwave award. Vinny Johnson. And I'm like, who the hell is that? So I had to be educated on who this guy was. And apparently, like, the first second after he came off the bench he was ready to score um and and put the ball up for a shot so yeah that uh you know he Vinny Johnson has a soft spot you know with me but uh I love Nickelberry's game I think he's only going to get better he's obviously a ball hawk on defense he can shoot um I'm, I'm excited to see where he goes going forward I like that you kind of weaved your way into comparing yourself to <laughs> Like, it started off by you talking about how much you like Josh Nickelberry's game and, and how much he's helping the team. And by the end of the conversation, you have found a way to zigzaggedly, zigzaggedly compare yourself to the kids. So I, I did not, I do not have the Josh Nickelberry step back in my arsenal. We'll just say that that was <laughs> yes. that was incredible. It's like, what's a bigger highlight for Josh Nickelberry this week? Sports Center <laughs> top ten or being compared to Dumpster Dan Sennard by Dan on his own podcast? It's like, didn't that kid average like 4.1 points in his high school career? It's like, oh yeah. Boy, I'm pretty excited about that. Scoreless in a final regional loss to Ballard to end his high school career. Very Nickelberry-esque. <laughs> We, I feel like we've got three major watches going on with this team right now, and I'm not talking about Aiden Nagehan. The question's continuing to, to pile in 
about Aiden Nagehan every single week. I've got no answers here other than it seems like he's well, he's got a groin injury now. We'll find out tonight whether or not he's available for the game. But you kind of touched on one that that I want to talk about, and it's Sam Watch. Sam Watch 2021. Everyone wants to talk about what's going on with Samuel Williamson. And I thought that after this game, because, I mean, that's the other, I guess, major thing from the second half that we have to talk about. Every major minute uh, after halftime in this game, Quinn Szynski was on the floor over Samuel Williamson. And it was deserved. Quinn was better in this game uh, than Sam was. And Louisville was a better team when Sam was on the bench. And it's becoming a thing where right when you feel like Sam has kind of turned a corner and he's going to realize his potential and he's kind of getting it and he's having the clicking moment, you have a performance like this where he's just he's not there. And Chris Mack was asked after the game about Sam, and he was as straightforward as you can possibly be. I think his his initial response to um, the question, which was worded, I think, you know, what does Sam need to do to get it going? He said he's got to play hard. And, I mean, that's as close to calling out a kid publicly as you're going to hear from Chris Mack. Um, I mean, he said good things about him. He was complimentary after that, but said, you know, you've got to play hard uh, on this team, and Sam's not playing hard enough right now. And I do think it's sort of a, a subconscious deal where you feel like you're going 100%, and then you watch yourself on the film, and you compare yourself to a guy uh, like Quinn or, or like Carly Jones, and you realize that uh, you're not going full speed a, a lot of the time. And like you mentioned, Sam has bounced back this week. He won the gold jersey in practice, which means he was the practice MVP. And I think now Louisville fans are just kind of like, good, that's a great response to something. It'd be discouraging if you heard that he was pouting in practice and, you know, complaining about playing time or posting passive-aggressive stuff on social media. This seems like the proper response. But I think we're all at the point now where we want to see it in a full game. Not saying he has to be spectacular, but just give that maximum effort. Make those winning plays that we see from, you know, guys like Dre Davis and guys like Quinn and, and guys like Josh Nickelberry. Like, you've got to... Once you start doing that, I feel like the rest of your game is going to follow. I agree. And Chris Mack gave one of the best press conference answers ever when he was asked that question because you're right. He did publicly kind of call him out for saying he needs to play harder, but he didn't just completely throw him under the bus. I mean, he talked about, you know, how bought into the team Sam was and, you know, how he's still engaged, even though, you know, uh, it, it's obvious what's happening on the court is not going in his favor. And, you know, he has the right mindset. And, um, you know, I, I think that's great for a player's psyche. I mean, if it was just like, hey, he needs to play harder, I mean, that could really mess up a college kid's head. Um, so I, I, I still, you know, we need to see it, but I, I still do think Sam's going to do big things for this team. Uh, it, it's just, I don't know, every time I watch him, it, it's just frustrating because, like I said, I've said this a million times, I know it's in there. <laughs> I'm, well, I remember growing up playing, one thing my dad always used to tell me, He'd be like, don't be too cool out there. And I was like, what the hell is he talking about? I have no idea, like, what he means by that. But now that I'm older, I'm like, I mean, Sam, we we know you're cool, buddy. You have the coolest jog on the team easily, like, easily the coolest jog. Um, we know what you can do. We've seen flashes of it. But, man, I, I just want to see him, you know, diving after loose balls, you know, just do the little things that it seems like Quinn is doing. And I think like once he just does a couple of those, the rest of his game's going to open up and, um, you know, hopefully he starts contributing, but I don't know. I, I do like, it seems like the Louisville fan base is encouraging this kid. I, I mean, look down the road at Kentucky. You had, um, I forget the kid that Cal sent home. Um, I forget his name. The one that you sent home over Christmas break. You have, B.J. Boston deleting social media 
um, because of the reaction of the fan base um, of how they've treated him after playing bad. But uh, I've been impressed. I, I feel like everyone wants Sam to do well, and we're behind him 100%. But um, I, I think it's time to see it. We're 20 minutes in the podcast. You have now compared yourself to <laughs> and Josh Nickelberry. It reminds me of the time that, you know, I made, my parents made, everybody hates Mike Rutherford t-shirts for me and my teammates uh, on the Trinity baseball team. That was uh, awesome. Just like Quinn Slutinski and his family, it's the same exact thing. Yeah. Uh, no, I, 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 I think you're, you're spot on. Sam's jog, though, is it, it's a total stud jog. He, it is. Like, it's, it's, great. It's, it's incredible. I'm like, God damn it, that looks pretty damn cool. The only thing is he does it, like, when we're in transition, too. So it's like <laughs> yeah, the game's actually being played. It's like, all right, man. And, and I know I wrote this on Card Chronicle, so uh, pardon me if, if you're hearing this for the second time. But, like, the thing that we have to get through to Sam is the thing that I think Quinn does so well and why Quinn's been stealing his minutes, which is you've got to start going – full speed on plays where you could get away with going half speed, where you can kind of go through the motions and just sort of jog back on a, on a breakaway layup, and nobody's going to call you out for it. Nobody's even going to notice it. Quinn had two points, uh, two baskets in that game where he just he went balls out and would not have scored had he not been going balls out. There was a play where David Johnson made a move to the basket, and Quinn came flying in from beyond the three-point line to crash the board and wound up, I think a couple of Virginia Tech players kind of bumped into each other, and Quinn wound up uh, picking up the slack and, and getting an easy layup. And then previously mentioned the, the Carleek Jones steal where Carleek was trying to collect the ball and kind of lost it and then tapped it to Quinn. If Quinn wasn't going – if he was going 75% down the floor at that point, like maybe he still gets possession of the ball, but he doesn't get the easy layup. Virginia Tech gets to recover, and we have to go into a half-court set. Instead, he gets the easy deuce. That's four points in, in, in a game that we won by two that were earned just by going 100%. Those are winning basketball plays. And we've got to get Sam to start making those types of winning basketball plays. And then I think you'll see all the the other stuff that, that will come naturally from his just, just God-given talent start to come out a little bit more. But that's where we have to get with Sam. Uh, the second watch is is Charles Menland watch, which I think really got ramped up when we saw him going full warm-ups against Kentucky. I think there was some talk that maybe he could play that game. And then obviously when you know he's that close, you're just sort of counting down the days to when he's going to be able to, to be on the floor. My guess, based on Chris Mack's comments, based on uh, both Monday and Tuesday, I, I think we're going to see him tonight against Wake Forest. Now, maybe you're listening to this on Thursday or late Wednesday night, and I'm totally wrong about that. But Mack has said, you know, he's not near 100% condition-wise, and that's understandable given how long he's been sidelined. But he said there's nothing that we're doing in practice right now that Charles Millen's not a part of. And I'm excited to see this kid, what he can bring to the table. Obviously, Josh Nickelberry has brought a new dynamic element with his Dan Sennard-esque three-point shooting uh, <laughs> and his microwave style coming off the bench. Minlin is a guy, and I think he's going to help us a lot, but I think that Minlin would have been – it's going to be a bigger adjustment for him than it was for Carly Jones coming from where he came from. And, and that's it, that sounds strange because Radford's a lower brand of basketball than San Francisco was. But Midland's situation at USF was so unique. He was playing in this this really analytic-heavy system that encouraged him to take, quote-unquote, bad three-point shots early in the shot clock. He was always their number one or number two option scoring-wise. He, he was a, a highly high-usage player. And now he's in a situation at Louisville where he's going to be coming off the bench. He's got more talent around him. 
than he did at USF. No disrespect to my guy, Frankie Ferrari, one of the greatest names in college basketball history. But uh, like, like Midland's going to be the third or fourth scoring option when he's on the floor in most situations, and that's going to be a big-time adjustment for him. And you would have liked to him to, to be able to start that process back in November, but now he's being thrown into the mix right in the heart of the season. Even so, I think this is a guy who could really help the team, and I'd love to see him kind of get his feet wet tonight against Wake Forest, which has um, – really been bad at keeping opposing guards from scoring. They're, they're, they gamble a lot, but they're not a great defensive team. I think this would be the perfect scenario to see Charles get out there, maybe play five to ten minutes, and just kind of start this process of getting back into the mix. I think one of Chris Mack's strengths has been since he's arrived at Louisville, he's been really good at getting guys completely healthy and ready and like back into action at the right time. Like um, Last year when David Johnson was hurt, you know, he made sure that he was 100% when he came back. And, you know, it wasn't too long after he came back where he had the Duke game. Um, you know, this year it, it seemed like Josh Nickelberry came back and he didn't miss a beat. It looked like he'd already been ingrained in the practice um, and, and the scheme of what the, the, you know, the team is trying to do. Um, so I expect the same thing. I'm, I, I feel like Charles Minlin has probably been working out with the team, practicing with the team. Um, and Chris is not going to put someone out there in a vulnerable vulnerable position. I think he's going to make sure that they're 100% ready. Um, so like you said, I, I think he'll be a great addition to our team. I think he'll bring us, you know, not only scoring, I think he'll bring us some length on the defensive end. I really like where, you know, the guys we have for the defensive system we have right now. And I think uh, Charles Minlin's only going to add to that. So, I'm just like everyone else. I'm I'm anxious to see him, and it's nice to be able to incorporate him in a game like a Wake Forest versus, you know, I know the ACC isn't daunting, but like maybe like a, a powerhouse or something like that. Did you just pronounce the word scheme, sheem? This happened. This happened like I feel like our third podcast. It's happened ever. before. It's happened before. I, I have a tough. There's words I have tough times with. <laughs> scheme and sheem is one. So. Uh, just, just go ahead and fast forward, folks. We'll move on to the next topic. Uh, that's, I mean, that's not a normal error. Uh, some I've of been the called out at least five times. We're not even 20 minutes into this podcast. And you have, I mean, I was ready to like bite my tongue on, on the other stuff, but then you, I, I mean, I can't let Sheem go. That's, that's not normal. That's not a, a, a like a casual error. Anyway, um, the last watch that we have to talk about, where are you on, DeAndre Davis three-point alert level watch. Are, are you okay with him shooting them again? Because against Virginia Tech, he airballs one long by about five feet. He airballs one short by about five feet. And then he just drills one, no hesitation, doesn't touch the rim on his third attempt. He's like Fulton Reed, except it's one out of every three instead of one out of every five. Are you okay with DeAndre Davis shooting threes again now? Oh, man, the Fulton Reed, that was great. Um, I am a... Uh, like I am a baseline Dre Davis fan. Like if he wants to take those corner threes, like I'm completely comfortable with that. I think he works really well in the baseline. Anything he does down there, I feel comfortable with. Um, if he's going to, I know he did shoot an air ball from there. I think it was his first one. He was just getting the rust out, but I'm okay with it. I mean, like, you know, if he's zero for four, I, I'm a little like hesitant, but if he needs to get a couple up and they're wide open, I, I'm I'm still okay because we, he has been able to hit them. Um, but it's just the misses have been really bad. I feel like I'm for the time being the the Dre Davis three point shooting era. It's on. It, it's on right now, but it's a very kind of temporary on. It, it's 
this is a fluid situation. I'm okay with him shooting the three if he's wide open and, you know, maybe we're up by like five to eight and it's late in the shot clock. We Where we have to, to kind of draw the line is like tight game, maybe the other team has some momentum, and Dre is pulling like a contested twenty-five footer, like like three seconds into the shot. That's where we have to. That's where we have to cut him off. Like I'm with you. The baseline shot. He lives on the baseline. That's where he should live. He and Jalen Withers both have been really good at that area so far this season. But for right now, I'm okay with him picking and choosing. He he you know, broke the three. He's two for his last four. That's where we're going to leave it. But if he'd airballed that third one, then I think we would have had to have cut him off forever. Um, I, uh, back to ahead. back to Dre. I think he's having a bigger impact on our team that he's getting credit for. He has been a godsend on the defensive end. His ability to switch on everything from guarding bigs to guarding guards and be able to keep his guy in front. Um, he's a good rebounder. He's willing to take charges. Uh, we just didn't have a guy like that last year on the defensive end. I mean, I know we had Dwayne Sutton. Um, I would say, you know, he maybe fits that mold, but we're just able to do so many different things um, as far as switching with Dre Davis on the floor and not really miss a beat. I think that's really been overlooked this season, how good he's been on that end. I think you're totally right. I think he's been he's been terrific defensively, and then every now and then he has games, um, you know, like he did against Western where he's he's a scoring threat. He becomes that third scoring option. And the grand scheme of things, you need a guy like that. <laughs> you really need a guy like that. Um, I don't really have anything else to say about uh, about Dre or about the other watch levels. We're going to talk about Wake Forest and get to uh, Dan's thoughts of the post-Danny Manning Wake Forest era. But before we do that, have to remind you all, we are sponsored by our friends over at Home Field Apparel. If you're looking for new wardrobe, for the, uh, the stretch run here of the basketball season, Homefield Apparel has you covered. Go to homefieldapparel.com, click on the Louisville section, check out their wide variety of retro gear. They've got great T-shirts. They've got great hoodies. They've got a couple of tank tops. They've got a, a Scott Satterfield shirt as well if you want to get ready for football season. All their shirts are, are super soft. Their hoodies are, are incredibly soft. I'm wearing one of the Cardinal Hoop ones right now. And when you check out and use the promo code CARDCHRONICLE, all one word, that's going to save you 20% off your purchase. Again, homefieldapparel.com is the website. They've got a bunch of other teams besides Louisville. They don't have Kentucky. It's another reason to, to shop at Homefield Apparel. You can also follow them on Twitter to find out their latest deals. It's Homefield Apparel with no E on apparel. And on Instagram, it's just at Homefield Apparel. Again, big shout out to Homefield Apparel, as always, for sponsoring the pod. So, we're again, we're recording this Wednesday afternoon, getting ready for Louisville's 8.30 p.m. game in Winston-Salem against Wake Forest. And Dan, your brand, your brand is strong. Uh, a year of doing the podcast, I think there are like five things that people really know you for: um, pronouncing words like "sheem," comparing yourself to every player on the basketball team. But maybe more so than anything else, it's your affection for Danny Manning, who you believed was a like a big time basketball coach in the making, and wound up being one of the worst coaches in ACC history. How sad are you that we're going into a Louisville Wake game? Um, without Danny Manning for the first time in like five years, it's it's labeled the DMMI. It's the Danny Manning Memorial Invitational. <laughs> um, this is this is the inaugural one. Uh, probably going to be a lot of emotion involved in the game. I, I can see blood, sweat, and tears being left out there. Um, but yeah, my, my my boy Danny is apparently kicking at ESPN. Wake Forest decides to run out a potential Hall of Fame coach to hire Steve Forbes. I'll never understand that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a sad day in my book. 
Um, but life moves on, I guess. Uh, I, I really don't have too big of an opinion as Steve Forbes. Um, I'm sure I'll gain one here in the near future, but I know he's no Danny Manning. You'll always have the fact that we gave Danny Manning, I mean, really like his only significant win at Wake Forest. Like when we lost to them, I think it was the, it was right at the beginning of March in Is that the John Collins year? It was the John Collins year. And that, that win basically got them into the NCAA tournament where I believe they wound up losing in the first four. That was the, the crowning achievement of the Danny Manning era at Wake Forest. We'll always have that gift that we gave him. And I actually like, Steve Forbes is a guy that I've been like really, really high on for years. And like, I, I, I'm selfish when it comes to this stuff. People who are nice to me for stories back when I was doing college basketball stuff for SB Nation, I have a, a special affinity for. And Steve Forbes was really cool for a story I did on ETSU a couple of years ago. He did a, a terrific job there. Uh, I, I'm convinced they would have won a game in the NCAA tournament had there been an NCAA tournament last year. I think he's going to do a really good job at Wake. But right now, um, they're struggling a little bit. They had two guys who in December – they lost unexpectedly, one because of COVID-19. He's gone for the rest of the year. Uh, the other guard is is out for medical reasons indefinitely. They're now starting Carson Witt, who is a, a kid who graduated from high school less than a month ago. He's their new starting point guard. Um, they beat the, the breaks off of three really bad teams in their non-conference portion of the season. They've played three ACC games. They've lost all three. They were competitive against Duke and Virginia. They got beat pretty bad by Georgia Tech. But this is a game tonight. It's it's weird. The analytics don't have Louisville as an overwhelming favorite, depending on where you're looking at the the spreads, anywhere from five to eight points. But on paper, this looks like a game where Louisville matches up pretty well against Wake. Wake turns it over a bunch. Um, Louisville... Uh, its guards should be able to get, in, get into the lane. Wake has had a big-time problem keeping opposing guards out of the lane. David Johnson and Carly Jones both should feast. Uh, is there anything that concerns you a little bit about this game outside of just standard, you know, hangover, we're number 16, we're hot, we're maybe too full of ourselves? What, is there anything that concerns you about this game? Yeah, one of their guards has Kyle Mooney-type hair from Saturday Night Live, and every yep. time I watch Wake Forest, it completely distracts me. So if our guards have a bad game, I totally understand why. This hair is wild. It's wit. It's it's the kid I just talked about, the 18-year-old kid who, uh, again, was taking high school finals this time a month ago. And, look, he's he's going to be really good. He's the, the highest-rated recruit that, that Forbes has been able to sign so far, but he is very turnover-prone. And he doesn't really know the offense, which is understandable. Again, he's been there for like three weeks. So when he's out there, they kind of do what we did with Kristen Cunningham a few years ago, which is simplify everything, go high ball screen, let him get some momentum going to the basket and either make a player or kick it out to their uh, opposing shooters. They do shoot the three pretty well, and they shoot a lot of them, which is if you're looking for an upset or if you're worried about an upset, that's always something to be concerned about. But we have defended the perimeter really well against these types of teams. So um, like, I, this is a game that Louisville – I'm not going to say they should blow anybody out because right now we're still a little bit of a work in progress. But if you're looking at any game on paper that Louisville matches up favorably in um, with regards to ACC competition, this this feels like that. Like I, I think this would be a nice game to get some guys' confidence back going, namely Samuel Williamson, and then hopefully Charles Midland gets to see the floor for the first time. So we keep winning, but we keep getting off to these shitty starts. Yeah. Do we want to keep getting off to these shitty starts and keep winning, or are we going to try to change our luck and maybe get off to a good start and see what happens from there? I, I, I would like to get off to a good start one of these games, but, I mean, if we're going to keep winning, I'm, I'm not going to get too worried, but it is a little more stressful when you get down like 7 nothing or 11 nothing every single game. 
Well, we did do it against Wisconsin too, and then we lost by you know eight hundred. So th- there, that was the one game where we really couldn't turn it off. But you're right; it's weird. We are, despite the fact that we're eight and one, we are minus twenty seven in opening segments so far this season. We, we've just gotten off of terrible starts, and we've been really bad to start the second half too. I think we're minus uh, fifteen overall in first segments of the second half, even though we've won the last two. And another weird thing from the Virginia Tech game: the first segment of the second half was the only segment we won that entire half. Like BT just casually made up ground that entire time. Um, but I, I don't really have a whole lot to add about Wake Forest. They've got a couple of, of good players. They do do a lot of the pick-and-pop stuff. Um, they don't really run what Steve Forbes ran at ETSU. I don't think he has the, the personnel to make that happen yet, and they probably didn't have enough practice time to make it happen yet. They kind of look like if you watched a, a little bit of the Alabama-Kentucky game last night, which, my God, you should have because it was wonderful, <laughs> but – they kind of, he wants to play the same way that Nate Oates is playing right now. They're very free. Um, they don't get up and down nearly as much as Bama does, but they do do a, just a whole lot of ISO stuff, a lot of two man game, a lot of kick the ball out to the perimeter or try to finish at the rim. They, it's that modern style of offense, but it's wake. They also take some just really reckless shots and they turn the ball over way too much. I think they're, they're the worst team in the ACC when it comes to turnover percentage. So I know we don't force a ton of turnovers. But this could be a, a nice chance for us to get out and get into transition a little bit, which even though we don't do it a whole lot, we're pretty good once we do. So, again, I, I think this is a, a pretty solid matchup for us. And as long as we keep the same tenacity and the, the same you know, just effort level that we've been seeing in recent weeks, I think we should be able to move to 4-0 in the ACC. Um, everybody's waiting for me to do the Tim Duncan thing. It became a staple of mine when I'm on the radio. I'll never get over that Sweet 16 game in 1996 where, where Duncan – I mean, he walked – he fouled out of the game. Neither got called. We should have won. We would have beaten that great Kentucky team in the Elite Eight because DeJuan Week would have hit, hit uh, 13 three-pointers. Both science and math have proven that. And instead, I cried after the game. It was the last Louisville game that, that brought me to tears. I think at that point, I woke up the next day. I was like in fifth grade, and I was like, you know, that's, you're, you're too old for this. You've got to move on from that. But do you have recollection of, of that game back in 96? I do, and it's because I, I remember the two games before were, like, absolutely phenomenal. I think we came back against Tulsa in round one. Tubby. Like, shout, shout out Danny Manning. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> it's like coming Kevin Bacon coming back full circle here. Um, and then round two, I want to say we beat New Mexico. If I'm wrong about that, I apologize, but I feel like, um, we, we made a stop on the last possession. So I remember being really excited going to the Sweet 16 game. I thought we played pretty well overall. And, yeah, I mean, I, I don't remember the walk as specifically as you. I remember the last shot of the game. I want to say it was Dewan Wheat, or Tick. Like, I think it was Wheat missed was a bank shot from the side. Yeah. Um, you know, but, yeah, I remember saying it was a late game. I remember saying and watching with my dad. Um, but we, we did go on to make the Elite Eight the following year, but yeah, that was a heartbreaking loss. Yeah, 96, the second round, that was actually when we beat Kerry Kittles in Villanova. That's right. Okay, you're right. Yep. Yeah, New Mexico New game. Mexico, I think, was the next year in the second round. We beat UMass with, um, shout to Calipari. We beat uh, the Padilla and Trevieso team in the first round, and then New Mexico, and then uh, the Texas game, the, the Damian Dantzler three. Yeah. yeah. Stuff. Oh god, like, oh. the Villanova game, the Kerry Kittles game, that was a great game. That was yeah. uh, that was very unexpected. Were, what seed, were we a seven seed and them a two seed? Yeah, um, we were six both those years. We, we okay, were six, gotcha. And they were a three. Yeah, all of those games in those runs were at least the ones that we won were were so close and so scary. Like I'll, the Tulsa game, I'll never forget. Like, like 
you know, being again, I'm 11 years old, but we're down whatever it was, 11 with like three minutes to go, and I'm just like sitting there, just staring into the void, thinking this is what I wait the whole year for, and it's going to be ripped away. And I, and I went outside and started just you know shooting on the, the basketball goal we had in our driveway. And I remember my dad kept coming out and giving me updates about how we were making a comeback, and I refused to go inside, thinking it was good luck. Um, and and I ended up I didn't watch the overtime. I stayed out there the entire time until he told me that we were going to win. I, all and I remember it, about that game is. Samaki Walker was having some shorts wardrobe malfunctions, like his shorts kept falling down. I was like, God, this is the worst. We're going to lose. This guy's shorts are falling down. Um, but, yeah, no, I, that, that was fun times to be a Louisville fan, 96, 97. All right, do you want to do – I guess we should do score predictions since uh, last time we did them. I came – I said 72-70. It was 73-71, which is a total shot in the dark. I deserve zero credit for that, but I'll still take all the praise you want to give me. Uh, what's your score prediction for tonight, Dan? I will say um, we win 79-70. to 70. Okay, I like that. I'm going to say Louisville 75. Uh, I'll say Wake 64. A uh, little bit. Solid defensive effort. Wake doesn't have the hosses right now. They don't shoot that well. And we kind of cruise. All right. Uh, I know we've we've talked a, a lot already, but we got to answer some questions from Twitter just because we asked for them. So let's get to it. Um, let's see here. I, I'm not going to talk about the lines. Rick Gibson wants me to talk about the lines. This, this is a Lions free zone. Just <laughs> we refused to talk about the Reds a couple of weeks ago. I'm trying to stay positive here. Uh, I don't I don't want to do this. Uh, so I'm not going to talk about the lines just being fucking terrible. Unless they get Devonte Smith, uh, I'll I'll definitely take that. Um, let's see here. Eric Wood. We'll start with the Eric Wood question. Did you see the Cats game last night? Bet you're glad you all beat them when you did because it would never happen now. That was a lot of – I like Eric Wood bringing the – just making fun of Kentucky fan stuff. It's been fun. I'll, I'll say the last week has been so fun to follow Kentucky fans on, on social media. It's felt like a throwback to the past where, you know, back in like 2006, if Kentucky lost a game, you'd hop on the Cats pause message board and just soak in the schadenfreude for the rest of the night. When – I, we were running, we were out and about running errands on Saturday, and when I saw that the UK basketball account tweeted out the, the players kneeling before the game, I was like, man, three hours from now, I'm going to get the baby down, going to have a couple drinks, I'm going to scroll through these mentions and just enjoy my entire evening. And the best part was, like, they beat the shit out of Florida, so all these, these people pissed off about it, couldn't really say anything, but say, like, like, they were like, hey, should focus on the game. None of that stuff happened because they played the best they've played all year. But then last night when they lost by 20, uh it was just that was beautiful. That 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 was wonderful. It's been a, a very very fun week to follow Kentucky basketball fans. I, I agree. And uh, shout out to Nate Oates, Alabama's coach, for just not taking his foot off the gas pedal even at the end of the game. Um, just love to see him run up the score, and they did it without like th- like three of their starters got hurt during the game. I mean, they won by twenty points with a lot of their key players injured. Um, but yeah, I mean. Kentucky looks very soft. Uh, me and you were texting last night about the grudge that Calipari has against Dante Allen. Like, no matter what, he's in his ass 24-7, even though he's probably one of the more impactful guys on the team. Um, but because he didn't play him earlier in the year, he doesn't want to look bad. It's just it, – it's been great to watch. Um, I mean, even if they run the table the rest of the year, which they're not going to, I still don't think that – I don't know. I mean, at least in conference, I don't. I don't know if that's going to get him in the tournament, but it's just been phenomenal to watch. Right, let's just uh, not beat around the bush. Calipari hates when Dante Allen makes shots. Like, oh, the, it's it's but, unbelievable. It, he really does. 
it, it epitomizes. It, it's the it's the the real life version of the meme where the dude is like screaming behind the mask of him being happy. Like, like that's that, that's John Calipari. He has to act like he's happy, but he straight up after the, the the Florida game on Saturday was basically like making fun of fans who like Dante Allen and want him to play more. I mean, Cal and the fans are just on two completely different planets right now. And as an outsider, it's beautiful to follow. I mean, he like, like if Cal could give his 2020-2021 salary for B.J. Boston to start playing way better than Dante Allen, I think he'd do it in a heartbeat. He'd give up all the money just for, for Dante Allen to start sucking and B.J. Boston to start being good. I, I wholeheartedly believe that. Um, let's see here. Connor Shea, Card Chronicles Owen, says, Who controls the thermostat in your house, and what is it set to in the winter? I need for research. Um, I think we kind of have a, a shared agreement. It has changed a lot since we had the baby. Like we used to have it very, very cold, especially at night. We can't really do that now because uh, the baby sleeps in the coldest room. So we have to knock it way up. In the winter, during the actual day, like right now, I believe it's on 74. Where do you guys have it? I think we're at about 72. I'll be dead honest. I, I, I just go through life. I don't even notice if it's cold or warm. I just, I'm like, this is here. I'm, I'm here. I, I don't think I look at the thermostat. Like I do, I would prefer it colder when I sleep. Um, but you know, not that my wife is, you know, she's not like hardcore about it, but I, I you know, I'm a gentleman. I want her to be comfortable. So I kind of just let her control it and, she knows the best temperature for the baby, so I just carry on with my life. There you go. Uh, Ryan Keeling, is Clemson going to stay this good this year, or are they going to fall off like they do every other year? Um, I think if you were, if I was asked to do ACC power rankings right now, I'd have Clemson at one. I'd have us at two. I'd probably have Virginia Tech at three and then Virginia at four. I think Clemson's really good. I don't, like, I, I don't know if anybody in this conference is – national title good but Clemson right now is the most solid I, I don't know how much better they're going to get but Amir Sims is so good they've got veteran guards I think Brad Brown is actually a pretty good in-game coach like I, I don't think they're going to fall off as significantly as they've fallen off in, in some years past I, I I'll be surprised if they're not a top four team come the end of the regular season yeah I'm like contradicting myself from like a week ago when I was like the cream's probably gonna rise to the top here like Duke will be at the top and I could see Virginia Tech and Clemson maybe taking a step back, but man, I don't know. It's, it's hard to gauge. It just seems like, like you said, it's a pretty wide open conference. If there's a year for Clemson to have staying power at the top, it would be this year just because there's no, you know, really runaway power team. Um, I'm anxious to play them, although I don't think we play them till the end of the year. Uh, but I mean, they, they look pretty good. So I, I would say, yeah, they, if you ask me right now, I would say they have st- staying power to be one of the top, you know, a couple teams in the league. Logan Wade says, you mentioned Alan Houston not coming to UofL being every 90s dad's favorite story to tell. Other than that, what was your dad's hottest UofL take growing up? Uh, my dad's was always that the 83 team was UofL's most talented team ever. I- I've always said this. I've said this a bunch of times. I feel like every 90s kid or every kid around our age who grew up in the city of Louisville with a, a UofL dad fan uh, always heard two things and just got beaten into their brains at a very young age. The first was that Allen Houston and Wade Houston going to Tennessee started the end of the Denny Crum era. If they'd stayed, we would have kept rolling. We would have won more national titles in the 90s. The other thing was 
Houston only lost to NC State in the 1983 title game because Louisville wore them out two days before in the Final Four. Like, every dad always said that. And also, every, I guess the third thing would be every dad thought Rodney McRae was the toughest son of a bitch in the entire world. Like, like Rodney McRae was basically Rambo, according to every dad. I, I guess those would be the three, I don't know if they're hot takes, but just the three things that everybody beat into our brains. Now, you are a little bit different. Your, your dad didn't, like, grow up as, like, a, a diehard Cardinal fan. You grew up your first few years in Chicago. So, yeah. You didn't get this treatment. Well, that's what I was going to tell you. So my dad used to tell me growing up, like, and I, I told you last week, my first game at Freedom Hall was that Louisville, Virginia Tech game back in 91. But my dad used to tell me in the 80s when I was born, when I was like one or two years old, he used to take me to DePaul Louisville games in Chicago. Um, and he would always talk about how good Mark Aguirre was um, for DePaul. But uh, I would say like late 80s until we moved to Louisville in 91, we were mostly pro. I mean, we went to see Jordan and the Bulls all the time. My dad had season tickets, so it was awesome watching him growing up. But we never really got into college until we moved to Louisville, and we kind of started our, you know, Louisville fandom together, even though I was seven years old and he was an adult. Um, Corey Mattingly says, who are your and Dan's favorite NBA players that are not former Louisville Cardinals? I'll let you go first. Well, uh, as I just uh, growing up in Chicago, going to Bulls games when I was little it was obviously Michael Jordan. Um, but as I grew older, I was into the Jersey game and the first Jersey besides like a Jordan one I had back in the day was a Jalen Rose Denver Nuggets Jersey. And I love Jalen. I tracked him everywhere. Um, when he went to Indiana, uh, almost made the finals on the Pacers. I had a Damon Stoudemire Raptors jersey, and then I would say, besides that, um, just because I played against them, I love watching Rajon Rondo play. So I would say uh, those would probably be the four guys I've cheered for the most. Yeah, when you and I first got to know each other, you were at like the peak of your Jalen Rose fandom, and it was the that Pacers Bowl series where like you were like the only person I knew cheering for the the Pacers. Reggie Miller did his like jump spin thing that everybody <laughs> you. I think we all just wanted to beat you up after that game. We were on some sort of like baseball trip, and you were like doing it with him, and I just wanted to tackle you. Um, but yeah, you were you were a big Jalen guy. I can attest to that. My favorite NBA player right now, who's not a Louisville fan, I'm, I'll be a Monte Morris fan forever. And I, he got no fight with Demarcus Cousins last night, so I love him even more. Monte Morris, the only true point god. Um, shout out to Iowa State. I love you. Um, I was a big Dana Barrows guy back in the. Back in the- <laughs> I feel like I remember that. Dana yeah. Barrows. Dana Barrows. <laughs> Um, Trevor says, is Josh Chichester the greatest two-sport athlete of all time? Obviously. Of course. Um, Nick says, do you feel this team plays to their co- uh, their competition's level a lot? Not really. I mean. Yeah, I, I wouldn't think so. I mean, like, I, the, you can throw the Kentucky game out because that game's like, always weird no matter what. Um, but other than that, uh, you know, we could have played a little bit better in the pit game, I thought. But I think for the most part, we, we've been all right. Uh, the Sackaroo says, if Penny, second Penny reference on the podcast today, if Penny was a male Louisville basketball player of the last 20 years, who would she be and why? Um, for those who don't know, again, Penny, my dog, we've had her for four years. Penny is, I'm trying to think of, I feel like any comparison would be kind of mean, because Penny, she goes fucking nuts when like a, a mailman or a delivery person comes to the door, and when you're walking her, she barks at all the dogs, but then she like, she totally, kind of tenses up if like she actually has to face one of these dogs she's pretty athletic 
but I definitely think her bark is louder than her bite. So I, I don't want to like compare. It's to like something. Cameron Murray. Steps <laughs> <laughs> up if he needs to, though, just like Cameron Murray against UK in uh, in '97. Um, man, I don't. She kind of has. Oh, this is bad. She's she's explosive. Maybe like Lorenzo Wade. She she uh, didn't really finish though. She, she's she's clumsy, but she definitely she jumps like from our bed to her dog bed, and she makes it like one out of every four times. But she keeps attempting it. So that's the I'll say Lorenzo Wade. Love Lorenzo. Follow him on Instagram. Once again, that's my best suggestion I can I can make on this podcast. Find Lorenzo Wade on Instagram and follow him. The man lives quite a life. Uh, Jack says, does Louisville become a top five to ten title contender? when Malik Williams is back. Uh, five to ten maybe pushing it. Yeah, I don't know if we'll even know how good we are until I'm we like, get into the tournament because the ACC just seems so down this year. Um, you know, I'll be interested as anyone else when, when we play a team outside our conference. So five to ten might be pushing it. And I, I don't know. I mean, Malik, A, I, I hope he comes back. Um, you know, I don't know if it's pointing towards him coming back or not, but B, you know, he's been out for so long. I don't know how much we can realistically expect from him when he does come back. So I don't know how much, unfortunately, of an impact he's going to have on this season. It would be nice if he came back to last year's form for the stretch run, but you know, I would, I would put us maybe right outside, maybe that like 12 to 14 range. I'm with you. And I think maybe the better question would be if we'd had Malik Williams healthy from day one, could this team be a top five to ten national title contender team? I think they probably could be, just based on what we've seen so far this year. But like you said, it's it's hard to really know. Like, are any of these teams in the ACC even any good? Um, you know, we caught Seton Hall at a good time, and and they're probably going to be a middle of the pack team in the Big East. Kentucky is Kentucky, um, it, and you know, the Wisconsin game is such a, a weird thing to, to reflect on as well. So, I, I feel like we're going to be in the same boat as basically all of the non one and two seeds, which is. We think we're pretty okay, but we've got no idea. It's just going to be such a bizarre NCAA tournament to try and analyze from so many different angles. It's going to be very, very strange. Uh, Kevin Newbert says, is there any concern that John Michael Hayden isn't the right person to lead the men's soccer program? Hey, look, John Michael Hayden, fellow rock. Um, he great. was viewed at Trinity as a godlike figure. Like, he that's was. how good he was at soccer. Everyone was like, oh, my God. He can dribble a ball walking up the stands. It's John Michael Hayden. Like, um, I, I hope, I hope you know they they turn it around because, um, like you said, he's a Trinity guy. We love him. Yeah, we love him. He, great family, cool guy. Um, always been super nice whenever I've talked to him. Um, it, can't ignore the fact that they went, I think, one and six and one in the early part of the season this past year, which is far below our expectations for the program now. But let's give him a little bit of time. He kind of was. Filling, filling Ken Lola's shoes yeah. is very that's a that's a difficult position to be in. But like you said, I, I think we should give him some time to um you know kind of build his own culture there. And it was also such an unexpected defense. Like the Ken Lola bouncing kind of came out of nowhere. So uh, a little bit of a tough situation for him. All right, that's all the time for questions we have. We we've rambled on enough. Do you have a uh, a quick Dan of the Dump story to end the podcast on, Dan? Well, it is Wake Forest week, so I was going to um, venture down a Wake Forest memory when me and you uh, traveled with two of our not-really-sports-loving friends to the <laughs> Orange Bowl back in 2007. 
Um, or was it 2006? I'm losing my mind. But anyways, was, uh, the game was about seven. That's right. So, um, I, I mean, we could tell, we could tell stories about this four day trip for, I mean, three hours on the pod, <laughs> but I'm just going to tell one. Um, so like the day before the game, it was the night, uh, Boise State did the Statue of Liberty to Oklahoma. Um, you know, me and you kind of wanted to stay. We didn't care. We, uh, our budget was not the same as our two friends that we were with. Um, we were like, yeah, let's just stay at a hotel, you know, close to the stadium where the game was. And they were like, we want to stay on South Beach so, you know, we can go to the beach. And we're like, Jesus, all right. So, like, <laughs> out of nowhere, we ended up staying at, like, I mean, like, if you looked up the definition of swank, like, this was the hotel. It was, like, yeah. the swankiest of swanks hotels. I was like, I guess it's pretty cool. But then, like, we get in there, and it's just one king bed and, like, just cold tile floor i was like all right so like we had gone out the night before real hard and we we you know so we kind of taken it easy that day we watched the the fiesta bowl with boise state oklahoma um in the hotel room and we drew straws from like who's gonna sleep on the bed who's gonna sleep on the floor well i had to sleep on the floor and it was the most fucking uncomfortable thing I've ever been a part of in my life. It was just cold tile. Like, we didn't have extra blankets or anything. It was just, like, you know, what you would think of, like, a 22-year-old, like, going on a road trip with, like, awful sleeping arrangements. So, anyways, I did something I usually don't do. I couldn't sleep, so I got up at, like, 5 a.m. while, like, you know, the sun was getting ready to come up, and I just walked the beach. So, as I was walking... Um, I see there's like a guy who's literally like laying down in the sand and I just like walk past him. I'm like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, it's around new year's and people are out partying, whatever. I really didn't even think anything of it. And all of a sudden, like out of the corner of my eyes, I'm walking. I see this guy like get up behind me and he's just like walking behind me. I wouldn't turn around. And then like all of a sudden <laughs> I hear he's like Danny Sennard and I turn <laughs> around and it was this guy named John from my fraternity, I was like, John? He's like, what time is it? I was like, what the hell? I was like, it's like 5.30. He's like, oh, my God. He's like, I'm down here for the game. Oh, Jesus. He's like, all right, man. I, he's like, I got to get my bearings. He's like, are you going to the game? I'm like, yeah, I'm going. He's like, awesome, man. I'll see you there. I was like, what the fuck is going on? Did he just wake up on the beach as I was walking past him? Um, but I mean, just like the most outrageous random story, you know, ever, but that trip in itself, one of the more fun road trips I've been on. Um, if you were down there, uh, would love to hear your memories of it, but we had a blast. I'll never forget walking into that room. It was like above some restaurant and our, our two friends, you're totally right. The, the very, there's a very like strong divide. <laughs> Between you and me and them, and they were like, "Yeah, this is very like modern Art Deco. Like, I love the decor." And I walk in, and I was just like, "If I have to sleep on this floor the night before the game, I'm going to kill myself." Like, I, I, I've got to be ready for this game. And thankfully, like, I was one of the people who drew straws to sleep on the bed. You were not, and you were hurting for the, the rest of the day. That was tough. Um, yeah, I mean, it, the, we hastily agreed. Like, we we were just out one night with these guys and. We were like, man, that would be awesome to go to the game. And one of them stepped up to like, yeah, we can just drive my car down if you guys want to go. And like, we were like, yeah, but like when we agreed, I don't actually think we thought it was going to happen. And like the day before, we're like, are we doing this or not? And we ended up doing it. And like, it was a blast, but just like a very different kind of, uh, 
like U of L trip that we've ever been on. Yeah, it was uh, it was something uh, enjoyable for sure. Go Cards, fuck Wake Forest. Uh, as I mentioned, out of nowhere, like 15 reviews, new reviews on the Apple Podcast app just popped up the last couple of days. So if you've left a review in recent weeks and we haven't had a chance to read it, our apologies. We didn't see it. So uh, please subscribe to the pod wherever you can, Apple Podcasts. I know Google Podcasts has had an issue. A couple of you guys have reached out where if you try to sign up for the local podcast, it signs you up for the SB Nation Arizona Cardinals podcast. I have reached out to our podcast people. It's a well-known issue. They're trying to address it. So our apologies for that. But if you give us a five-star rating, if you leave us a review, it really, really helps us out. And we do read the reviews in the pod, so that's some extra incentive there. So we're not going to be able to read all of these new ones today, but I'll get to uh, just a couple here. Uh, back on December 16th, uh, Handikin said, As a Trinity grad and a lifelong Cards fan, I love the show. You and Danny are good and hilarious after a loss and a great after a win. Keep up the good work uh, from Ken Tark. Let's see here. Um, Jarbo says, in a day and age where you can have a pod on any subject with crystal clear clarity of sound and information, this pod takes you back to the beginnings of the podcast era. Mike Rutherford is hands down the authority of Cardinal Sports with his witty insight and fans' point of view. If you're looking for breakdowns of football, basketball, Earl Clark, and all other U of L sports, and you also enjoy listening to Mike give his uh, takes through a coffee can, then this is the pod for you. Uh, one more here before we get out of here. Let's see. Um, Mom Boss Lou says, honestly, my favorite podcast out there. I completely identify with the raw emotion displayed from Mike and Dan with the real-life struggles of being a Cards fan and parents. Informative but not dry. I laugh out loud at every pod. I even laugh at the high school inside jokes. Keep it up. Shout out to Mom Boss Lou. Shout out to Mike Zabo. Shout out to the the terrible high school inside jokes. Uh, Dan, any parting thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, I'm glad someone enjoyed the inside jokes because every time I tell one, I'm like, Okay, this could go bad. Every time we yeah, we we dive into something that's just you and me, I'm like, how many people just want to unsubscribe right now? So when we get the positive reinforcement, it makes me feel a lot better. Again, we will have another episode here before the end of the week. Uh, we'll recap this. We'll look ahead to Miami. Hopefully, we're talking about a win. Uh, so until we guys, until until we talk to you guys again, go Cards, beat Wake Forest. Go Cards.